You're listening to the Central City Assembly podcast. We're dedicated to sharing content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus for the good of our city and helps you grow in your love for Jesus. So enjoy this episode and may you be filled with the love of God the Father. All right, church family. Um, Myers-Briggs, okay? Myers-Briggs, a caliper, horoscope, disc, Enneagram, a hexaco, zodiac, revised neo, and icing. Okay, um, what do all of these have in common? Yeah, they're all they're all methods or, or theories used for personality typing. Um, they're used to try and help people figure out what makes themselves uh, and other people tick, uh, and why we all do the things that we do. Is there really an answer? Maybe, I don't know. Uh, But you're probably familiar with some of these, and you might even know what your personality type is based on some, maybe all of these, I don't know, but many of them. Okay, but um, all of these methods, they have their, uh, their roots and their origins from a man named Hippocrates. All right, uh, Hippocrates, who was born in 460 B.C., before Christ, in ancient Greece. Um, Hippocrates is regarded also as the father of medicine. Um, it's from his name that we get the Hippocratic Oath that doctors and, and medical personnel still use today. Um, but he was also the first person to present a method or a theory about personalities. Um, and his method is known as Hippocrates' four humors or four temperaments. Uh, if you remember a few years ago, we did a series in a small group series, a study called I Said This, You Heard That. How many of you were there for that one? A few of us were there, yeah. Um, and and it, it, it went through Hippocrates' four temperaments. Are you a, a choleric or a sanguine or a, a melancholic, or a phlegmatic, if you remember those. Um, sounds like diseases, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, it was actually tied to bodily fluids, which is gross. But anyways, that's a different topic. But uh, I mention all of this because it seems that people have been trying to figure out what makes us tick for a really long time. Huh? Right? Look to your spouse. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure you out. Right? The, the inner workings of the human heart and mind are mysterious. And people have been trying to solve this mystery for millennia. Right? There, there are many different methods and theories out there. Some of them ancient, some of them new. Um, and they all try to explain the nature of the human heart and mind. Um, and in my experience, none of them are simple and straightforward, are they? Uh, there are lengthy tests and assessments involved. There are nuances that you have to learn uh, because come to find out human personality is complex and challenging, right? There, there are specific letters and numbers and signs and animals and colors that you have to, to learn that correspond to different personalities. And honestly, it's hard to keep up with them all, right? I, I, am I a five-wing, six, FJ, dominant, Pisces, introverted, rabbit, phlegmatic, who's what's right? I don't know. I'm not quite sure. Who knows? There's got to be an easier way to understand and explain the nature of the human heart. Well, actually, um, there is. And it's much simpler than all of these other methods. 
Uh, it doesn't even require tests or memorizing letters and numbers and colors and signs and animals. Right? You just have to look at one thing to know a person's heart. And we actually find this in the Bible because about 400 years after Hippocrates of Greece, I'm sorry, that would be, yeah, 400 years after Hippocrates of Greece, um, after he came up with his theory, Jesus of Nazareth said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what Jesus is saying is that if you really want to know what makes a person tick, what motivates them, what their desires are, why they do what they do, then look at their treasure. Look at their treasure. Look at what they value. Look at the way they spend their time, their energy, their resources, their money. Whatever they devote those things to, that's their treasure. And that's where their heart is also. That's what matters most to them. And what's interesting uh, about what Jesus said, and we find that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, is that it's in the context of money. Okay, Jesus is teaching about what our attitude and actions with money should look like as children of God and as members of his kingdom. And what we see in, in the Gospels is that Jesus talked a lot about money and what we're supposed to do with it. Uh, and his general attitude towards not just money, but also giving of our time and energy and, and other resources, it's summed up nicely in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, where Paul is quoting Jesus, saying, it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? And so today, we're in, in this final week of our series called Why, where we've been um, trying to get a better understanding of why we do what we do on Sundays and throughout the week as part of our faith practice. Uh, we've looked at why we gather, why we uh, worship, why we study God's Word, why we take communion, why we baptize. That was last week. Um, and today, we're ending asking the question, why give? Why give? Why do we give of our time and energy and resources why is it more blessed to give than to receive, as Jesus says? Amen? So this is why give. Um, and I'd like us to pray again before we continue with our gathering. Can we do that? Would you just join me in prayer right where you are? Would you begin asking God to meet you right where you are? And whatever circumstances that you're facing, whatever situation, would you ask God to meet you where you are? And God, we thank you that your presence is here. You are with us. You are already moving in our midst. I'm, I'm so thankful for those who, who gathered in prayer this morning at 9 o'clock, who've just been praying for our church family, praying for our time together. God, would you answer those prayers? Would you move in our midst? Would you use your word to minister to us and see just how amazing you are, God? And so we thank you for what you've already done in this place and what you're going to continue to do. We love you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, so where do we start in Scripture to better understand God's de desire for us when it comes to giving? Um, well, that's actually kind of a, a challenging question to answer because giving is talked about all throughout the Bible, okay? Uh, and Jesus especially taught about giving in the Gospels. Uh, Jesus' top three topics to teach about um, were this, the kingdom of God, salvation and faith, and the third one might surprise you, he teaches a lot about hell. And then after that is money. All right, get this, in, in 16 of 38 parables in the gospel, Jesus references money. 
Uh, one in 10 verses in the gospel, so 288 total, talk about money. As a reference point, the Bible as a whole has 500 verses about prayer, less than 500 verses about faith, and over 2,000 about money and possessions. Okay, God absolutely has something to say about money and what our attitudes and actions towards money should be. It's clear, okay? Um, but, but let me just say, this message isn't just about giving money. We're not going to pass a plate. Like, we don't do that anyways, but we're not going to do that at the end of our gathering to try and guilt you into giving, okay? Um, it, it's not just about money. It's also about giving in general, right? giving of ourselves, giving of our, our, our time and energy and non-monetary resources too. And again, the entire Bible is fundamentally about God being a generous giver. And so to understand why we give, we first have to understand our maker, the creator and sustainer of everything. And the truth is that everything in the cosmos that ever was, is, and will be exists purely because of God's generosity to us. God is the ultimate giver. From Genesis to Revelation, we see example after example of a generous and giving God. And so the, the best place to look in Scripture, I guess, to, to know where to begin is the very beginning. And so let's open our Bibles to the book of Genesis. It's the, the first uh, book in your Bible, um, if you have a traditional Bible. And we're going to look right at Genesis chapter 1. And you can kind of skim down to, to verse 27. And what we see in the very beginning, when God created man and woman is that he created us in his image and likeness, okay? And so we read that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. When you get there, say Merry Christmas to the person sitting next to you. All right. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so if God, okay, let's follow this. If God is a generous giver and we bear his image, what does that mean about us? We are expected to reflect God's likeness as generous givers too. Does that make sense? You follow in that? Giving and generosity are built into human nature since we are image bearers of our generous giving God. All right, now, uh, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, and sin entered the world, humanity in general became takers instead of givers. Why is that? Well, if you remember from the creation story, um, when God created the Garden of Eden for Adam and Eve to live in, um, he gave them everything they could ever need to live an incredible life. All right, so turn over to to Genesis chapter 2 now. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, this is what we read. It says, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All right, then skip down to verse 16. Just a few more verses down. It says this, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. 
All right, do you see how generous of a giver God really is? All right, he gives Adam and Eve a home. And then he fills this home with an abundance of plants and trees that bear fruit. And he says, you can eat from all of them. Right? Every plant that bears fruit except one. All right, next verse, verse 17, God says this. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, why would God say not to eat from that one tree? People like to get very philosophical and theological about this, but it's actually really simple, okay? This is going to blow your mind. Why did, why did God say don't eat this one tree? They didn't need it. It's that simple. They didn't need it. Okay, they, they had all of the many other trees and plants in the garden to eat from for food that were full of fruit. All right, a vegan's paradise. They would have loved it in the Garden of Eden. They had plenty. They, they didn't need the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right, but, but when the serpent came and tempted Eve to eat from that one forbidden tree, check this out, he deceived her into thinking that she didn't have plenty. Right, that she didn't have enough. That she was somehow lacking if she didn't eat from this one tree, even though she had an entire garden full of plants with fruit to eat from. Right, she already had everything she could ever need. And so not only did sin enter the world in that moment that she ate the fruit of the forbidden tree, but so did the spirit of poverty and poverty mentality enter the world at that, that moment. All right, what is the spirit of poverty? What's the, the poverty mentality? All right, this is when someone thinks that they never have enough. Right, that even though they have clothes on their back, a roof over their head, food and water to eat and drink, they still feel like they don't have enough. Right, that's the, the poverty mentality or the spirit of poverty. And even though Adam and Eve had plenty, they were deceived into thinking they didn't have enough. Do you see that? Right, that they were lacking and it's in that moment that humanity in general became takers instead of generous givers made in the image of God. All right, so let's put this all together. Next slide. Let's put this all together. God is a generous giver. Right? We see that clearly throughout Scripture. We, we were created in God's image, and so we too should be generous givers in order to accurately reflect God's image. But when Adam and Eve sinned, the spirit of poverty also entered the world, and so when we are not generous givers, it's because we're operating through the spirit of poverty rather than through the spirit and image of God, who is a generous giver. All right, so that, that's, that's one part that we need to make some connections. All right, and so uh, to help us get back to properly bearing the image of God, because um, he, he wants us to be in right relationship with him and to live as we were called to live, um, what does God do? Uh, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. He's a generous giver. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his most precious gift, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Right? God gave us a perfect example for us to follow of what a true image bearer looks like in his son, Jesus. And Jesus' life was one of total and complete surrender giving everything, even his very life, for the benefit of others. Or listen to how Paul describes Jesus' life in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. He says, for you know the grace. And what is grace? Grace is when someone gives you something with no merit, 
right? It doesn't matter what you do. They just give it to you. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. How did Jesus become poor? By giving away everything he had, right? Um, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus' entire life was marked by giving and sacrifice. Giving and sacrifice. Why? Because he wanted to be like his dad, right? The ultimate giver. Generosity and giving runs in the family. All right, and so let's follow through with this one. If Jesus is our perfect example for us to follow of what a true image bearer looks like, and Jesus' life was marked by radical generosity, then what does that mean for us if we are going to follow Jesus? It means that our lives are also meant to be marked by radical generosity. We are meant to follow the Son, the perfect image bearer, who followed in his Father's footsteps the ultimate giver. Everything making sense so far? Okay, you're, you're a little quiet this morning. Maybe it's too warm. Do we need to make it colder in here? No? Okay, all right. All right, and so, all right, check this out. All right, even without opening the Bible to a specific verse that instructs us to give, right? We haven't even read a thou shalt give verse, right? And there are many of those. Um, we can clearly see in God the Father and Jesus the Son and in our directives to bear God's image and follow in the ways of the Son that we are without question meant to be generous givers, right? Givers of our time, energy, and resources, right? But what I love is that God doesn't stop there to help us understand that we are meant to be generous givers. Um, If his character and the character of Jesus that we're meant to, to bear and emulate in our own lives isn't enough, God also clearly instructs us, uh, commands us even in his word on what and how we're supposed to give. Okay. Um, And before we get into those, uh, we're more likely to heed God's instructions and obey his commands to give if we understand another foundational truth, right? And that is that everything belongs to God. It's yours. It's yours. All yours. All yours. Everything belongs to God. Everything, including what you perceive as your own time, energy, and resources, that belongs to God. Even ourselves, our bodies, our lives, they're not our own. They belong to God. Uh, Listen to to Psalm 24, verse 1. King David proclaims this. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Do you dwell in the earth? You belong to God. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14 echoes this, saying, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Or what about Colossians, New Testament? Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, where Paul says, For by him, that's Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. It all belongs to him. Here's one more, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20, which says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. It can't get much clearer than that. For you were bought with a price. And what a price that was paid for us. The blood, the body of Jesus. And so glorify God in your body. 
right? Everything belongs to God. Everybody say that with me. Everything belongs to God, right? And the sooner we understand that and accept that, the more likely we are to follow God's instructions and commands to to give of our time, energy, and resources, and even our very lives if it comes to that. This is why in many of Jesus' parables, um, he compares our relationship uh, with God as like a relationship between a master and a manager. Master and manager, okay? Um, Where God is the master, I shouldn't have to clarify that, but you never know. Where God is the master who gives us charge over his possessions, and we are his managers, responsible for stewarding and caring for the master's belongings. We see that in the parable of the tenant farmers, uh, in the parable of the, the talents, and in the parable of the shrewd manager, right? Whatever we have is God's and not our own, okay? We're just managers entrusted by him to be good stewards of whatever he has given us. And listen, when we understand this, it changes how we view everything. It changes how we view our jobs, our finances, our homes, our families, our time, and so much more. All right, listen, this might be a hard truth for some of us to hear this morning. You have earned nothing in this life. You have earned nothing in this life. You didn't earn your money. You don't earn your house. You you, you didn't earn your car or your physical health. You've just been faithful to the opportunities that God has given you, and God is the one who's allowed you to prosper. God has allowed your faithfulness to produce something in your life. It's all from God, and it all ultimately belongs to him. Right. Listen, God has used um, many different people uh, to bless me and my family financially over the years. Um, and every time we go to thank those people, do you know what they say? They say, don't thank me. It wasn't my money. Don't thank me. It's not mine. It's all God's. And we're talking about people who have done very well in life, who have worked really hard to get to where they are. And they've all had that same perspective. It's not my money, it's his. And so if we have this perspective about everything, that it all belongs to him, and then when God commands and instructs us to give, we are way more likely to respond affirmatively. God, you want me to give of my time one Saturday a month to go and serve homeless people? All right, it's your time. I'll go and do that. Okay, you want me to pay for the groceries of the person in front of me, God? Okay, it's your money. I'll, I'll do that. Okay, you want me to give our, our extra car that we're not using to, to the single mom at our church? All right, God, it's, it's your car. I'll, I'll do that. Right, it's your car. See, not only are you being a good manager of what already belongs to God, and not only are you building up heavenly treasure for yourself, but you're also greatly impacting the life of the person that God calls you to give to. Um, I've told the story before of how a stranger once gave me and my family $10,000, somebody we didn't even know. Now, uh, to them, that was change, okay? $10,000 for them was nothing, but to us, it greatly impacted our lives. Um, not only did it, it uh, well, so it impacted our lives in, in many different ways. It helped us get out of some debt. It helped us get into the house that, that we're in right now. And not only did it impact our lives, but it impacted the life of a baby girl who we got to adopt as our daughter and give a better life to. And none of that in our lives would have happened 
if this stranger hadn't been a faithful manager of the finances that God had given them. And like I said earlier, um, their response when they gave us that incredible gift, when we went to thank them, um, was don't thank us. And actually, they were kind of offended when we thanked them. Because in their mind, they're like, this isn't our money. They, they truly believe with all of their hearts that we're just being faithful with, with God's finances, not our own. Right? They were just some managers being faithful and obedient to their master. And so when you operate not from the spirit of poverty, but from the spirit and image of God, from the example of Jesus our Lord, and from the understanding that everything belongs to him and we're just his managers, it changes the way you view everything. Right? And it has the potential to greatly impact the life of those you give to. Okay? It's what makes the difference between someone who is like this, closed-handed with everything, right? and this, the person who's like this, open-handed with everything. And since it all belongs to, to him, since he's our king, since he's our master, he has every right to tell us what to do with his belongings. He has every right to instruct and even command us about what and how we're supposed to give. And we see those ways laid out for us in his word, in, in scripture. And so, uh, what are the ways in which God instructs us to give? I've got four of them for you this morning. Number one is this. God gives us life to give in service to others. God gives us life to give in service to others. Um, I love this verse from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, where Paul says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right? Part of the reason that you are here on this earth has already been decided for you, okay? Right? Part of the reason God created you was for good works, giving of yourself in service to others. Your life is intended by your maker to be directed towards others in service. Or this is the way Jesus said it in John chapter 15, verse 13. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Okay, now does this mean um, dying the way Jesus died for others? Maybe, maybe. But, but it's, it at least means that we should be sacrificial in the way we live our lives so that others are blessed and benefited. Okay, and if our lives are not our own but God's, then we should be willing to give our lives and sacrifice to others. And, and Jesus is very general in his statement and doesn't get specific about what laying our lives down looks like because your life right, encompasses everything that you are and have. And so we should be ready to give everything that we are and have. We should be ready to give our lives in service to others. All right, so so that's, that's the first one. It's kind of general, um, but God does get more specific in his word about what and how we should give. So here's the number two way that God instructs us to give. Um, God gives us gifts to give in service to others. God gives us gifts to give in service to others. Now, um, what kind of gifts? Well, the gifts I'm thinking about are the gifts that Jesus uh, and the Holy Spirit gives his people um, to, to edify and build up the church, okay? Um, and we see those kinds of gifts given to us in 1 Corinthians 12. Um, you can take a picture of these and, and look them up uh, on your own throughout the week. But 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4. And in these passages, we learn that God gives us spiritual gifts. 
Right? Gifts like uh, gifts of words of knowledge or words of wisdom, a supernatural faith, gifts of healings, the working of miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, various kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. We also uh, see gifts of teaching and leadership and service and even financial contributions. So many gifts that God freely chooses to give to his people. Right? But what are we supposed to do with those gifts? The apostle Peter tells us, In 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11, he says this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. There's that word again. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Question for you. Um, have you ever re-gifted someone something? Raise your hand if you've re-gifted before. Don't be ashamed. It's all right. Okay? Someone gives you a gift that you're like, I don't really like that. Um, you never open it. You never use it. And so you re-gift it to somebody else. Now, sometimes you can pull that off without offending the person who gave it to you, right? Um, but sometimes you get caught. <laughs> and the person who gave you the gift starts asking questions like, hey, where's that, uh, where's that sweater I gave you for Christmas a few years ago? I never see you wear it. You're like, uh, I don't, I don't, uh, it's in the wash right now, okay? Um, I was at so-and-so's house, and I saw that in th- their house, they had the exact same print of a little kitty in a field with daisies hanging on their wall. And it's the same print that you have. Isn't that interesting? Uh, that seems like a very specific example, and I promise I've never re-gifted a kitten picture walking in a field of daisies. I'm actually a good friend in giving gifts. All right. Um, all right, but sometimes, right, it's not always appropriate to re-gift things to other people. We can hurt people's feelings if we do that. But in the kingdom of God, re-gifting is 100% okay and encouraged of us. We're encouraged to re-gift. Right? Re-gifting is part of God's kingdom culture. Okay, God doesn't want us to keep the gifts that he gives us. He wants us to give them away. As each has received a gift, as Peter says, use it to serve. Use it to give back to one another. And so has God given you the gift of service or helps? Re-gift that bad boy, right? Serve, help other people. Has God given you the the gift of teaching? Re-gift it. The gift of words of wisdom or words of knowledge, don't hold on to it. Don't keep that gift to yourself. Re-gift it. So what gifts has God given you that he wants you to re-gift to others? That's number two. The third way that God instructs us and commands us to give is that God gives us resources to give in service to others. Resources. And when I talk about resources here, um, I mean non-monetary resources. Material goods. When John the Baptist, and this is is really interesting, okay? Um, When John the Baptist was preaching repentance to the people of Israel, it says in Luke chapter 3, or or John says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And I've always thought that to be an interesting phrase. What does he mean by that? And then in verse 10, it seems that nobody knew what he was saying because they come to John and say, what do you mean? What does that look like to, to bear fruit in keeping with repentance? And his answer is really interesting. Okay, he he doesn't say, well, just turn away from your sin and, and turn to the Lord. That that is what repentance means. But he says in verse 11, watch this. Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. 
Isn't that interesting? Okay, John is saying that the proof that we truly have repented and turned to Jesus, the true fruit of repentance is that we give of our resources to other people. Right? And this got me thinking, Jesus said this to somebody else later on. Right? When the rich young ruler asks Jesus, what must I do to be saved? Jesus says something really similar, doesn't he? He says in Luke chapter 18, verse 22, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Look, John the Baptist, right? According to John the Baptist, according to our Lord Jesus, the proof that we truly have turned from sin and are following him is that we give, that we give. Specifically, that we give of our material resources in service to others. What about you? Are you bearing fruit and keeping with repentance? Are you giving your resources to others, proving that you truly have repented and that you're following Jesus faithfully? So that's number three. Finally, the fourth way that God instructs and commands us to give is that God gives us finances to give in service to others. God gives us finances. I know this is the part you've all been waiting for, isn't it? Okay? And the two main ways that God instructs us to give of our finances is through tithes and offerings. Okay, now, I'm not going to dive super deep into this this morning. We don't have a whole lot of time left. I can spend a whole sermon series just on tithes and offerings, okay? Um, And I'm partly not going to do that this morning because others have done a very good job, all right, better than I can, explaining and teaching on the importance of tithes and offerings. Uh, The best that I've ever heard so far is Pastor Robert Morris. All right, write that name down, Pastor Robert Morris. Um, If you remember a few years ago, we had a sermon series called The Blessed Life. And this is based on Pastor Robert Morris's book of the same title. And, And I thought that he taught on financial giving so well that I just played his videos of him teaching for five weeks straight. I didn't even preach, okay? Um, And that's actually what a lot of churches have done. I know some pastors of small churches and mega churches who just played Pastor Robert Morris' videos because his teaching is so solid and so biblical, right? Um, It's the best I've heard. And so what I would recommend you do, uh, do yourself a favor, go buy that book, The Blessed Life by Pastor Robert Morris, or go online and, and watch his sermon series. You won't regret it, okay? Um, But here are a few things that I'll say about tithes and offering, okay? In simple terms, uh, tithe means what? A tenth, right? Many of us know that. Tithe means tenth, okay? And a tithe is when you give 10% of all of your earnings back to God. And we say back to God because it's his, right? It's his. We've already established that. And we see clear instructions from God to the nation of Israel, his chosen people, about tithing specifically. And so go home and read these passages. Read Leviticus 27. I think we have a slide. Numbers 18, Deuteronomy 12, Deuteronomy 14, and Deuteronomy 26. You can throw in there Malachi chapter 3, I believe. Okay, but these all show that the laws that God put in place for his people concerning tithes specifically. And so what you'll notice in those passages is that the the tithe was given to the Levites. This was the the one tribe in Israel of the 12 that God set aside specifically for service to him and to his people. And the Levites, they lived off of the tithes so that they could serve God and only do that and not have to worry about other jobs, okay? 
Um, but even the Levites were required to tithe back to God off of the tithe. All right? We also see um, that the tithe was normally in the form of produce and animals. Um, Israel was an agrarian society, meaning that they, the economy revolved around agriculture. And so their, their tithe consisted of the first 10% of their grain and fruits and vegetables and even their livestock harvests. Um, but we do see in Deuteronomy where if someone's tithe was too large for them to carry around and, and bring to the, the temple, um, they could sell it for money and then give the tithe in the form of money. Uh, we also see that in the book of Malachi, that not tithing was considered robbing from God. Okay, if you hold on to something that is not yours when you're supposed to give it back, that's called robbery. You're a thief. And when the nation of Israel failed to tithe, they were accused by God of robbery, but they were also cursed. They experienced drought and famine, some pretty serious stuff. Now, uh, some people today, they push back and say, well, that was the Old Testament law. Right? Didn't Jesus come to fulfill the law? I don't read anywhere in the New Testament saying that we're required to tithe still today. And to that I'll say, please read your Bible more carefully. Okay? Because first, all right, this is important. First, tithing predates the Mosaic law. Tithing came long before God ever even said you should tithe. It predates the Mosaic law that we read about in all those chapters that I just referenced. Okay, because when Abraham had an encounter with the kingly, priestly, Christ-like figure known as Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14, Abraham gave him 10% of all he had. We also see Abraham's grandson, Jacob, give 10% of his resources back to God. And all this happened before there was ever 10 commandments or the Mosaic law. Okay, um, we also see in ancient Near Eastern history, so not even Jewish history, but, but Eastern history, that it was common for the people to tithe, to give 10% of their resources and their income to whatever their gods were. This was just custom, right? So tithing, it predates the Mosaic law, right? Secondly, Jesus actually endorses tithing in the New Testament. He endorses it. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, and in its parallel verse, uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 42, Paul rebukes the Pharisees, not because they didn't tithe, but because they mis misunderstood the true meaning of the tithe. Right? He says that they were tithing. They were being faithful in tithing, which Jesus actually encourages them to keep doing. Right? But he rebukes them because they tithed out of obligation rather than from a heart and a mind of justice, mercy, and love and faithfulness to God. And then again, in, in Hebrews chapter 7, the author uh, examines Abraham's encounter with Melchizedek, this Christ-type person, um, to endorse and encourage the continuance of tithing today. And so, we should continue tithing today because God commands it, tithing predates the Mosaic Law, and Jesus and the New Testament actually endorse and encourage us to keep tithing. Right, those scriptures that I threw up there, I don't want you to take my word for it, I want you to go home and read them for yourself. I'm not just trying to twist the words. It's very clear, okay? Go read that. And so what does tithing today look like? Well, I don't know if you knew this, but um, we don't have priests in temples like they did in the Old Testament, right? Uh, we are the priesthood. We are the temple of God. Um, we don't have people who, 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 I'm sorry, but we do have people who dedicate their lives to serving God and his people, and we do have places of worship. 
And so when we tithe today, we bring the tithe to the church and entrust it to the pastor and the overseers of the church to be good stewards of it and to use it to further build the kingdom of God. Um, It's also totally acceptable for a pastor to receive an income from the tithes just like the, the Levites did. Paul even endorses this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Right, but, but the tithes are also supposed to be used um, in service to God and God's people like we see in the Old Testament. And oh yeah, pastors are expected to tithe as well, okay? We're not exempt from this. Um, we in our modern age and culture, we're not agrarian. Uh, we don't have farmers in our church, I don't think, right? Um, but the majority of us, we have jobs that pay us wages. And so instead of produce and livestock, our tithe comes in the form of money. Although I have had people bring like their first lemon from their lemon tree to the church before. It's pretty cool, right? And so instead of, of livestock and produce, our tithe comes in the form of money, which again, Deuteronomy gives precedent for this. Um, and okay, it is expected that everyone should tithe no matter their income or circumstances. All right, watch this. In Luke chapter 21, we see this scene uh, where Jesus honors and praises a poor widow. She comes into the the temple, and she gives her very last penny as an offering to God. How could Jesus do that and allow that to happen? It says clearly, this was her last. She had nothing else. And Jesus praises her. Look what this woman has done. Wouldn't it have been more compassionate of Jesus to say, hey, don't, don't give that. You need to eat. You need to take care of your children if you have any. Isn't that more compassionate? Or is it? Right, Jesus, you'll notice, doesn't stop her because she knew who her provider really was. Right, and she knew the blessing that she would receive from her provider because of her faithfulness to give, even in the midst of her extreme circumstances. Right, listen, it would have been less compassionate of Jesus to stop her from giving and prevent her from receiving the incredible blessing God was going to give her. You see that, church family. Everyone is expected to tithe. Right? And so what happens if someone doesn't tithe? It's simple. They miss out on blessing from God. Right? In many places in the New Testament, as well as the Old Testament, God promises that he will return to us whatever we give. Uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 is a really good one. It says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Okay, giving leads to blessing, and oftentimes more blessing than what we give. All right, it's not always going to, to be a dollar for dollar or exact gift for gift kind of return to you. Listen, your return might not even come in this life, but in the next one. Okay, the, the blessing in return, um, it's from God, and God promises blessing to those who give. Or Jesus, Jesus says it best in Luke 6, 38. He says, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, will be measured back to you. Okay, or like I mentioned at the beginning, Jesus is clear when he says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so if you don't tithe, you're missing out on God's blessing. Why is that important? Right? I'm not saying that if you don't tithe that you're going to go into poverty. I don't know. You, I don't know. you might. Right? You can actually do well in life without tithing. But can you do better than God? Can you produce more in your life than God can? You cannot. 
And so the returns that you manufacture and figure out for yourself is nothing compared to what God will do for you. And so if you, if you don't tithe, you miss out on God's blessing. But also, you're operating in that spirit of poverty that I talked about earlier. Okay, the, the similarities between the imagery of the garden and tithing are, are pretty profound. I want you to lean into this, okay? Um, Adam and Eve had the entire garden full of plants with fruit to eat that was given to them by God, right? Well, the income and resources that we receive to live off of um, today, those are also from God. Okay, that's our forest of plants with, with bearing fruit on them. Uh, God said to Adam and Eve to, only, uh, to not eat one tree out of the entire garden. It was forbidden. He says, leave that one tree alone, but all the rest are fair game for you. Today, God says, leave only 10% of your income to me and uh, leave it to me. Um, the other 90% is for you to live off of, okay? But when we hold on to that 10% and use it for ourselves, it's the same as Adam and Eve grabbing a hold of that one tree, the fruit of that one tree, right? You're being deceived into thinking you have little when you actually have plenty from God. You have a whole garden available to you. That's the spirit of poverty. Right? But when we tithe, we're operating not in the spirit of fear and timidity like what Paul talks about in 2 Timothy, but in the spirit of God. Right? The spirit of power and love and self-control. When we tithe, we're operating from a place of plenty, not necessarily material plenty, but we're trusting God that he's going to provide for us and care for us, that he will supply our every need. And so the, the first way that we see how God instructs us to give our finances is in service to others in, in tithing. The second way is through offerings, okay? And an offering is anything above and beyond the tithe. Right? It comes after the tithe. Offerings, they're not commanded in the Bible, or at least not in the New Testament, but they are common in the family of God, we see. Not commanded, but common. And in the Old Testament, not only did they tithe, um, but they also gave offerings uh, as thanks to God. They were called thank offerings. They gave offerings for building projects and for maintenance of the temple. Offerings for the poor and needy. They had these special systems in place to make sure that everyone was cared for. Uh, in the New Testament, the church gave offerings to support missionaries, to provide for the poor and needy. Offerings even for other churches that were facing hardships. And what's really cool is that um, we can see it in history documented. There are some ancient officials who were charged, or I'm sorry, ancient Roman officials who were charged with investigating this new religion called Christianity. I go and investigate these, these people who follow this guy named Jesus and, and call themselves Christians. And one of the things that they reported back to their leaders was how poverty just wasn't a thing in these Christian communities. There wasn't any poverty in these communities, right? Uh, even though these, these Christians came from different socio and economical backgrounds, everyone just worked together and sacrificed and gave to make sure that everyone's needs were met. And this would only be possible if everyone in the community not only tithed, but also gave offerings above and beyond the tithe. And today, right, when we not only tithe, but, but give above and beyond in the form of offerings, right, we get to support missionaries, Okay, we get to take care of widows and orphans. We get to serve our community. We get to take care of and, and be good stewards of, of the property that God has given us to use. Right? And listen, when we do that, the world will notice it. Right? The Romans noticed it of the early church. 
right? Because the world too instinctively knows that where our treasure is, where we invest and find value, that's where our hearts are also. So think about it. When the world looks at the church, where do they see our hearts being? How are we giving? How are we serving? And so here's what I'll close with. What I love is that nothing that I've shared today is coming from me. It's all coming from God's word. We've looked at many different verses, many different passages. It's all coming from the example of Jesus himself. And when you look at Jesus and the many ways that that he modeled giving for us and teaches giving to us, people could have easily said, man, this guy, he just wants more money for himself. He's just trying to to earn and and, and build his own kind of kingdom here on earth, right? right? That's what people say of some pastors today, isn't it? All they do is just teach about money. All they do is is talk about tithing and and offering all the time. All they want is more money for themselves. And for some pastors, we could maybe argue that that's true. But can we say that's true of Jesus? Okay, he taught about money a lot. Remember, 16 out of 38 parables. One in every 10 verses in the Gospels. And yet, Jesus was poor. He was poor. He didn't have a penny to his name. He didn't own a house or other material possessions. Now, does that mean money never went through his hands? No, it doesn't. Okay, it took considerable amount of money to fund his ministry, right? People still got to eat. People still got to need resources to be able to serve, okay? Um, It took a considerable amount of money to fund his ministry, right? Judas was the treasurer, which in hindsight maybe wasn't the best choice, um, but he was the treasurer, which means that there was money in the ministry, Okay, Um, but the money Jesus and the disciples received was always used in service to others. They gave just as much as they received and probably even more so than that. They gave everything that they had, even their lives, right? 11 out of 12 of the the apostles martyred, killed. They gave their lives for others and for the glory of God. And even though they were poor by the world's standards, they were rich beyond all measure by heavenly standards. Okay, and their giving of their lives, their gifts, their resources, their finances, it transformed the world. Now, what could God do with your giving, church family? Do you believe that that he could use your giving to change a person's life for the better? To influence a community for the better? To change the world for the better? Absolutely. And you might think, I have nothing to give. Okay, again, don't let that spirit of poverty rule your life anymore. And look to Jesus. He was poor, and yet he gave more than anyone ever has in human history. And so when we give, we bear the image of our maker, Father God. When we give, we follow the example of our Savior, Jesus, the Son. When we give, we recognize and proclaim that everything belongs to him. When we give, we receive blessing in return. When we give, we can impact the world and the people around us that we give to. And as John and Jesus would say, let's bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Let's be the generous givers that God created us to be. Thank you for listening. If you are blessed by this episode and would like to help us create more content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus, would you consider giving a financial gift of any amount today? 
Whatever you give will go towards building the kingdom of God in the lives of people all over the world. Thank you for your support, and we pray many blessings over you. Thank you.